this weekend we're starting a new, new series, and we're calling it Walking with the Giants. And what we want to do, there's a couple things I want to do with this series, and we're going to just kind of spend the fall in this series. Um, I'm assuming that some of you that come on a regular basis don't know a lot of the Old Testament characters. Some of them are big and some of them are smaller, but there's such a richness as we look at their lives. And so we want to look at their lives and we want to learn from them and we want to say, okay, what can we learn from this person? What can we learn from this person? And the launching pad is going to be Hebrews chapter 11. Because one of the things that the writer of Hebrews does in chapter 11 is it's a, he says that these people are the heroes of the faith. They're like the, the, the cream of the crop. And it's interesting because you may, if you went through the Old Testament, you might not choose them. And you say, well, why do they choose them? So what we want to do is we want to see kind of what was going on in the book of Hebrews. But then we want to jump to the Old Testament and really look at their lives and say, what is it about faith that they had going on? That's kind of what we want to do in this series. So when I ask, when, I, when, we, when we unpack that, when I, when I use the word faith, what do you think it is? As you think about faith, what, what comes to your mind? Uh, maybe what comes to your mind is you say, you know, faith to me is it's just believing the right facts. Just making sure that I have my facts straight and I believe those facts. And that's what faith is, believing the right facts, right? Or you may be here and you say, you know what, faith is... Praying for rain and carrying an umbrella with me. Right? Just, I, I, I just am going to pray for rain and I'm taking an umbrella because I know it's going to rain, right? Or uh, some people, you know, and, and there's, uh, you know, wings of the church that kind of believe this. That faith, it really what faith is, is you have to believe without doubting. If you doubt at all, you've just undercut your faith. Totally. Now, what we're going to see, it's very interesting, because we're going to look at uh, a man of faith. I mean, he's in the book of Hebrews, so he's a man of faith. But, you know, here's the thing about faith. Maybe you're like me. Whatever you say about faith, we always feel like, yeah, I could use a little more of that. I'm not full of faith, right? Doesn't it feel like faith is something you can never have enough of? It, It seems like we should have more. I mean, I have a little faith, but I should have more faith, right? And didn't Jesus say, you know, you know, kind of chide people because of their lack of faith, right? And so you say, man, I don't want to be that. I, I want to have faith. So um, this weekend we're going to begin our, our time, our series, with a, man, with a man of faith. Now, he didn't lead any armies. He wasn't a, a prophet, priest, or king. He, he never gave a powerful speech. He never wrote a word in the Scriptures. We don't have any word that he recorded in the Scripture. We also know that he never performed any miracles. As far as we know, he never did. His life is found in one chapter of the Old Testament. And he never utters a word. He doesn't say a word. I mean, he's the guy that when you read his story, you go, oh... Yeah, I remember him. Wasn't he? Yeah, didn't that? But Hebrews says he was a man of faith. Not just Hebrews. You're going to see more than that. Jesus even makes a comment about him. But he is called a hero of the faith. And he's found in Hebrews 11, the heroes of the, cha- heroes of the faith chapter. So jump, jump over to he- Hebrews chapter 11. And it's on. if you don't have a Bible, we have these nice Bibles in your chairs. 
And uh, Hebrews 11 uh, is on page 926. So I want to read verses 1 through 4. And here we go. Faith is the confidence that we have hoped for, uh, that what we hope for will actually happen. It gives us assurance about things we cannot see. Through their faith, the people in the days of old, the Old Testament people that we're looking at, earned a good reputation. <coughs> By faith, we understand the entire universe was formed at God's command, and that which we now see did not come from anything that can be seen. Now, notice the next verse. It was by faith that Abel brought a more acceptable offering to God than Cain did. Abel's offering gave evidence that he was a righteous man, and God showed his approval of his gifts. Although Abel is long dead, he still speaks to us by his example of faith. And he is. He's speaking to us this weekend. Abel is speaking to us this weekend from the grave, from his life. So, in Genesis chapter 3, we see the fall of man. When we say the fall of man, what we mean is where Adam and Eve sinned in the garden. And, and all of creation and all of humanity fell at that point. So Adam and Eve ate from the fruit that they were forbidden to eat from. God sent them out of the garden. He posted guards at the gate and said, you're never going to come back here again. We come to Genesis chapter 4. So we have see the fall of mankind in Genesis 4. In Genesis, 5, in Genesis 3, in Genesis 4, we see the fall of family. You see, two brothers. And one brother just murders another, murders his brother. So, um, that's the first thing. Secondly, we see Abel in this chapter of heroes of the faith. But wh- wh- why is he here? What made him a hero of the faith? And what can we learn about faith from him? So what we're going to need to do, and this is where why this series is going to be kind of beginning as a launch pad in Hebrews and then jumping to the Old Testament, we're going to jump to Genesis chapter 4. It's on page 5 of that chair Bible. And I want to read the story of Cain and Abel. So Genesis 4, and we're going to spend the rest of our time in this passage. Genesis 4, verses 1 through 15, page 5. Now remember... Chapter 3, Adam and Eve have been cast out of the garden, right? They're, they're out of the garden, and now they're living apart from life in the garden. And, you know, they had contact with God, but different. Now, Adam had sexual relations with his wife Eve, and she became pregnant. When she gave birth to Cain, she said, With the Lord's help, I have produced a man. Later, she gave birth to his brother and named him Abel. When they grew up, Abel became a shepherd, while Cain cultivated the ground. (coughs) When it was time for the harvest, Cain presented some of his crops as a gift to the Lord. Abel also brought a gift, the best of the firstborn lambs from his flock. The Lord accepted Abel and his gift, but he did not accept Cain and his gift. This made Cain very angry, and he looked dejected. Why are you so angry, the Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? You will be accepted if you do what is right. But if you refuse to do what is right, then watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you. But you must subdue it and be its master. One day, Cain suggested to his brother, 
Let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. Afterward, the Lord asked Cain, We've seen this before, haven't we? When Adam and Eve sinned, remember? Where are you? Where are you? Where's your brother? Where's Abel? I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's guardian? But the Lord said, What have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you have cur- you are cursed and banished from the ground, which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield good crops for you. No matter how hard you work, from now on you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. Cain replied to the Lord, My punishment is too great for me to bear. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. Now this gives us the impression that God had an ongoing presence with Adam and Eve and and their family. And it also shows us that because he could not farm, he had to wander for food. Because food came very difficult for him. So he says, my punishment is too great for me. You have banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. Anyone who finds me will kill me. <coughs> the Lord replied, no, for I will give you a sevenfold, a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. Don't know what the mark is. Don't know what it means. And it's really mostly speculation. But probably from this story, the biggest question that scholars and theologians and people who just read this passage The biggest debate, the biggest argument, the biggest question that people have is, what was wrong with Cain's offering? What's the big deal? What was wrong with his offering? I mean, why did did God accept Abel's offering, but he rejected Cain's offering? Now, some people say, well, it was the type of offering that God rejected. They would say, and the argument goes like this, that Abel brought a blood offering... He brought an animal, and he brought the blood of an animal, and, and that's what was required by God. God requires blood. And here's the problem with that. The problem with that is there's no temple, there's no tabernacle, there's no priest to bring the animal or the blood to. There's no sacrificial setup, system set up. That's years and years in the future. There's nothing like that at this point. Others say... Abel brought the first fruits the best, but uh, Cain brought his leftovers. Notice it does say that he brought the first fruits of his crop, or the first fruits of his, from, his, uh, from his animals. Um, and then it kind of just says, and, and yeah, and oh, by the way, Cain brought something too. You know, uh, So there may be something there. So they're saying essentially that Cain brought the first fruits, and the first fruits always in the Bible means the best off the top, you know, the... You know, the and, and Cain brought his leftovers. Now, it's interesting to me, because as you read through this chapter, we kind of just read through it, it's interesting to me that where most of the time is spent is not on the offering, really. It's kind of like Cain brought this, Abel brought this, God accepted this, God rejected this. And then we get into this whole thing where Cain just kind of goes off. And so it's really more about what's going on with Cain. 
And you say, well, I, Pastor, excuse me, but I thought we were talking about Abel. We'll get there. Just be patient. We'll get there. Um, I don't think this chap, the answer is the offering. I think it spends very little time in the offering, and it spends a lot more time in what was going on with Cain. And I think they're using Cain in this chapter to show us something about ourselves that we need to see and we need to hear. Here's what I think is going on. God rejected Cain's offering because his heart was not aligned with his actions. His heart was not aligned with his actions. What do I mean by that? It's simply this. I don't, I don't believe his heart was in it. He was doing the right thing, but he did it with the wrong motives. Have you ever done that before? Have you ever done the right thing, but you had the wrong motives? Uh, we all have, if we're honest. We all have. And, and by the way, we probably have all done it for God, too. We've done the right things. We try to look and like act like we're praying or we're acting like this, but our heart isn't in it. I, I could ask you, in this time that we just had a worship, was your heart in it? Did you offer yourself to God? Okay? So, his heart wasn't in it. He was doing the right thing, but he did it with the wrong motive. Secondly, his heart was revealed. Now, it's interesting to me. There's only like a, a verse or two, you know, a couple sentences that describe Cain killing Abel. There's no details. There's no... You know, he just, he just says, hey, let's go out in the field. Hey, I'm going to kill you. Hey, you're dead. Hey, I'm going to bury you. You're de-, you know, and that's it. It's like, okay, there's no details. It's just like, boom, boom, boom. That's it. And it's like the writer's saying, this isn't really what you need to be focusing on. There's something going on. There's something that's gone wrong with Cain. Look at, and, and not only that, look at the, this, does this, does this deserve murder? I mean, come on. What's going on in his heart? that he will murder his brother. And look at his attitude towards God. I mean, he's like, this is God you're talking to. And he's like, I don't, I'm not my brother's keeper. You know, I, I'm not responsible for him. Why are you bothering me with this? You know, and as a parent, when our kids kind of give us a little attitude, we go, what are you doing here? I'm the parent. You don't treat me that way. But there's something going on with his heart. It's, the wheels have come off. And and so God warns him. He, he, he warns him. Um, he had been warned by God. He basically says, uh, God says to him, you need to change your heart because sin is crouching at the door. Uh, God, and, and this is a great thing. This is grace. God always extends to us grace. God always says to you, when the wheels come off, when you go off the track, He says, listen, watch out. There's trouble ahead. Be careful going down that path. Check your heart. Where are you at? And so he, he, God always gives people a chance to change. He warns them. He pleads with them. He shows himself to them. And, you know, here he is. He's talking to Cain and he's saying, Cain, catch yourself because something bad is going to happen if you don't catch yourself. He pleads with them. But in the end, Here's, the, here's what I found, and you've probably seen it too. People get to choose their own destiny. They get to make their own choices. God had plead, pleaded with him. Now, here's a few lessons that we can learn from this story, and here's where we learn about faith. It's not what you're bringing to God. It's the attitude of your heart. It's not what you're bringing to God. It's the attitude of your heart. That's really what this story is all about. Abel brought an acceptable offering to God because his heart was aligned to God. See, 
Abel's offering was a reflection of his life. It wasn't a burden for him to bring this offering. It was a joy. It was not something that he had to to do. It was something he wanted to do. Um, and and that's what he did. You know, um, it's interesting. Um, and by the way, just a just kind of a little promo, little commercial. Um, every weekend we do these uh, sermon guides, and you can, if you have the app on the phone, they have the questions. And if you're in a, a, a growth group or uh, a life group, uh, and you want to uh, study something, you could use that sheet. We have one for this weekend, and the sermons are going to be up by one o'clock on uh, Sunday. If you're not here for the weekend, even if your group is meeting. You can still listen to it. It's about a half an hour and you'll be an expert. You'll be able to walk into the group ready for the study. But one of the things I go a little deeper in, and we're just going to touch on right now. Then as you go to book, if you go to the book of Acts, you don't have to turn there now, but if in Acts chapter 4 you see Barnabas. And his name is Joseph, but he, he, his, they changed his name to Barnabas because he was just an encouraging person. And Barnabas means son, son of encouragement. And Barnabas sold some property and he brought it to the church. And, you know, he laid it at the apostles' feet. He said, here, this is, I sold this, you need this, use it, give it out to the people who have needs. And so this other couple saw that and said, cool, let's do that. So they sold a piece of property that they had, and they brought it to the apostles' feet. First the husband brought it, his wife wasn't in, Ananias and Sapphira. And uh, he brought it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But what, here's the difference between what he, they did and what Barnabas did. Barnabas brought everything and laid it at their feet. They brought some of what they sold it for and they laid it at the feet. But they said, this is everything that we got. So the Bible says first that you lied to God. Secondly, if you read through the passage, you lied to the Spirit, the Holy Spirit. So this is, this is, how, this is how they rolled in the early church. So the husband brings this offering in. He lays it at the feet. And he basically says, this is all we got for the land. and bringing it all in, kind of like Barnabas. He didn't say that, but I mean, that's where it came from. And immediately the apostles, he dropped dead. God dropped him dead. So his wife comes in. You know, he hasn't come home for dinner. And she's wondering where he is. And she says, hey, have you seen my husband? Yeah, yeah, he was here a minute ago. Um. So you sold the land. How much did you sell it for? And of course she, she said, we sold it for this much. Not really for how much it was. but Because the whole point was, and they tell her this. They say, you could have given any, por- any percentage of what you wanted. It wasn't about that. It's that you lied about it. You say, man, you know what happened to her? He dropped her dead. The guys had just taken his, his body out, and they come back and take her body out. And it says the church, there was a spirit of fear. <laughs> yeah, I guess so. <laughs> I guess so. But here's my point, and we're going to look at this a little more in the, in the study this weekend, if you do this uh, sermon guide. Do you see the attitude behind it? Barnabas said, you know, I just want to help the church. I love God, and I just want to help the church. They were going, hey, We could get recognized here. We could get play here. This could be a good move for us. 
their heart was raw and God dropped them dead. This is how serious it is. So I want to ask you, is your heart in it? What do I mean to that? Are you bringing your offerings with a bad heart? And I'm not just talking about the offering we take during a service. I'm talking about today. What did you bring to the Lord today? How did you live your life for Him today? This past week? This past month? What were you doing this week? And did you say, God, I give my life to you today to serve you as an offering of praise and thanks for what you're doing in my life? Is your heart in it? Is your heart in it or not? That's the question I'm asking. Because the thing that we see about Abel is this. Abel demonstrated his faith by both his offering and his heart. Because his offering was a natural um, uh, outpouring of his heart. His heart was aligned to God. Of course he brought the right offering because his heart was aligned. Abel brought the wrong offering, or Cain brought the wrong offering because his heart wasn't aligned with God. His heart was wrong. See, Abel's offering demonstrated his faith. Cain's offering and action showed his lack of faith. So what made Abel a giant of the faith? Was it his offering or was it his life? Yes. Yes. Because they were intertwined together. There was no separation. There wasn't like, I'm going to do the right thing, but I really don't want to do it. It was like, this is a natural flow of my heart. This is where I'm at. 1 John, I want to read it to you. It will be up on the screen. Chapter 3, verse 12. Very interesting verse. John says this, We must not be like Cain, who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil. And his brother had been doing what was righteous. Cain had been doing what was evil. And his brother, what was doing, what was righteous. You see what he's saying here? Faith is not having a powerful imagination. It's not eradicating any doubt. It's not mind over matter. It has nothing to do with feelings or mental imagery. It has to do with obedience. A natural, heartfelt, Obedience. That's what faith is. The reason that Abel is in the Chronicles of Faith is because he was just a faithful person. He faithfully loved and served God. And his offering, every time he brought it, was a natural outpouring of his natural faithful life. You see, Abel is a giant of the faith because he lived his life in obedience to God. I'd like to make it harder than that. I'd like to say, you know, you have to just believe. And, and You know what? We, we want to have that flash in the pan. But when we see Abel's life, essentially what the, the New Testament basically says about Abel and helps us to understand it, it says he was just a faithful guy that plugged away and faithfully served God. And his offering just reflected that. He wasn't flashy. Wasn't a leader, wasn't a warrior, a prophet, or a priest. 
He never uttered a word in the Bible. He never penned a word in the Bible. He never performed a miracle. All he did was live a life of faithfulness to God. And when he brought his offering, the best offering he could bring, he did it with his whole heart, and it was his pleasure, his obedient act of worship. His offering was a reflection of his life. That's why he's there. Even Jesus says something incredible about Abel. Um, Jesus said about Abel, as a result, he's, he's speaking to the the scribes and the Pharisees, and he's condemning them, okay? And in the midst of that discussion, he throws a word about Abel down. Abel's probably sitting there going, what? Were you talking about me there? You know, all of a sudden you threw me out, right? But here's what he says. He says, as a result, he's talking to the scribes and Pharisees, you will be held responsible for the number of all the godly people of all time from the murder of righteous Abel. That's pretty good when Jesus calls you righteous. I mean, come on. That's pretty good. You're doing, you're doing something right when God, when Jesus says righteous Abel, there's something good going on there. And, and he's speaking of a life. He's speaking of Abel's life. So here's some questions to ask yourself tonight. What are you offering to God on a daily basis? What are you offering to God on a daily basis? And, and, and what is your life saying about your faith? What is your life saying about your faith? What is your, your daily offering revealing about the state of your heart? That's why I asked you, how did it go this week? What, did you wake up and say, God, today I want to serve you. Today I want to... I want to bring offerings to you. My time, my talent, my treasure, I want to serve you. Because that's why we're on this planet. Okay? Whether you're a teacher or a doctor or you, whatever, you're a student or whatever, you're a parent, you're a child, your, your role here on this earth right now is to serve God. It's to wake up every day and say, God, how can I serve you? How can I serve your kingdom? And, and that's what Abel did. So my question is, what is your daily offering revealing about the state of your heart? What made, what made Abel a giant of the faith? Abel lived his daily life according to God's Word with an obedient heart. And that's why he's called righteous. That is why he's in the chapter of the heroes of faith. Because he lived a life that was characterized by faithfulness. And his offering was just one day where he got up and he did the right thing. With a good heart. That's what it means to have faith. Now, here's the thing. We could close in prayer and I could say, God, help us to live faithful lives. Amen. Let's leave and go and live faithful lives. But you can't do this on your own. It's an impossibility. There's no way that you can live this kind of life on your own. Why not? Because you're not wired to follow God. You're not wired to obey Him. You're not wired to want to serve Him. Why? Because you need a new heart. Till God gives you... Listen, don't you have friends and family members and neighbors who think you're kind of nuts because you go to church a lot or you, you, you talk about Jesus or your lifestyle is just kind of like too goody, too shoes-ish for them? And, and, and you go... And they don't get you and they don't understand you and it seems like you're on a different planet from them. 
you have people like that, maybe your family members, you know, you just a little too much Jesus going on in your life, you know, you back it off, to, you know, to, and you don't, you know, you probably, you, maybe you've never said a word, you've never kind of, you just, but, but all of a sudden they're all over you about that. And you know what? You say, why is that? Because they don't have a new heart. They haven't been given a new heart. And God, God warned Cain. He says, Cain, look at what you're doing. And Cain was arrogant to God. I don't care. I'm going to do what I'm going to do. But a person who is given a new heart by God, it changes them. It changes them from the inside. We're different people. When God gives us a new heart, it changes everything. Only the gospel can give you a new heart. There's a couple of parallels here. Abel, a helpless and innocent victim, was murdered by an angry, jealous brother. Jesus Christ, an innocent victim, was murdered by an angry and jealous successors of Cain. But Jesus was not a helpless victim. He chose to voluntarily give himself. To be the sacrifice that we could never bring. He died so that we could live. And when we call upon Him, when we ask Him to save us, He will. And what does He do? He gives us a new heart. And when we get a new heart, it changes everything. And many of you know what I'm talking about. You would say, there was a day, B.C., before Christ, and A.D., after Christ, and, and the change has been dramatic. My heart changed. My perspective changed. My motives changed. My life changed. Now, you haven't gone from being imperfect to being perfect and from, not being a, from being a sinner to not being a sinner. But your, your fundamental direction, direction has changed. Everything changes. Your motives change. Your behavior changes. Your ethics change. Your life changes. And, and we remember what He's done for us and we want... To, we want, uh, we are more, more than motivated to serve Him. Why? Because He sacrificed Himself. He gave Himself for me. He gave me new life. He came from heaven to earth for me. We want to obey Him. We want to follow Him. And as we live our lives in this manner, we show ourselves to be people of faith, just like Abe. See, only when the Gospel transforms our heart can we live a life of faith. Faith is living your life in obedience to God's Word because you are driven by a new heart. That's what changes everything. Diedrich Bonhoeffer wrote this. He said this, For faith is only real when there is obedience, never without it. And faith only becomes faith in the act of obedience. But you can't do that unless God gives you a new heart. See, let's not make faith more difficult than it is. Faith is living a life of obedience. It's the natural outflow of a life that is lived in obedience to God. That's what faith is. I love the passage. I want to close with this passage, uh, one of these passages. Is this Ephesians chapter 3? And you can turn there if you want, it's, or just mark it and look there later. Paul prays this. I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. That's kind of like he's saying you're going to have a new inner spirit. You're going to have a new inner strength. You're going to have a new heart. 
then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. And that's what happens when you cross that line of faith. Christ dwells in us. Your roots will go down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should. They don't. They should. How wide, how long, how high, and how deep His love is. What Paul is saying is when we get just stunned and amazed by how great His love is for us, it breaks us down and we are just, our heart is broken and our our heart changes and our motives changes. And when we do things for Him, we don't do things to get hand on God or to get control of God or to get to look good. We do it because of what He's done for us, because He's changed us, because He's saved us, because He's rescued us. It changes everything in our lives. So, is that, so, so that's where my message ended until tonight. Okay? And then it was like the Lord laid on my heart one last piece that I want to drop before we're done. And it was this. It may be that you're here and you cross that line of faith, but your heart has gone cold. Your heart has grown cold. You say, you know what, I, I would never murder anybody, but I'll tell you something. There are times where my, my, my heart is not aligned with my actions. I do it because I feel like I have to. I don't do it because I want to. I lost, I'm losing the want to. What do I do? Here's what you do. You go tonight to Psalm 51, and you read a psalm about David, who his heart got cold towards God. By the way, David is the only one in the Old Testament, the only one in the Bible, which says he was a man after God's own heart. He's also somebody who kind of set up a murder of a person, stole his wife, it committed all a whole bunch of other things while he was king. His heart grew cold. How did he get his heart back? Read Psalm 51. And in Psalm 51:10, what is David's prayer? After he confesses his sin to God, he says this: "God, create in me a new heart. Give me my heart back." Break my heart open. Soften my heart. And when you go to God and you confess your sin and you ask Him to break your heart and you ask Him to give you a new heart, you know what God does? He gives you a new heart. He gives you, uh, and you know, it's the same, it's the same heart, but he, he breaks your heart. So what you need to do is you need to confess. You need to call out to Him. And the good news is this. That when you call out to the Father... He's already ready to forgive you. Isn't that the story of the prodigal son? He's already ready to forgive you. So I don't know where your heart is. I don't know where it's been. But I do know this. That what we learn from Abel is faith isn't something where you just have to believe without doubt. It's not something you believe the facts and hopefully uh, they'll come true. No. Faith is living a life that's consistently obedient to the words of God.
but, we're, but our heart is in it because we have been given a new heart. And we keep our heart open. We keep our heart soft towards God. And as we do that, whatever the offering is we bring to God, our motives will be right. We will live a life of faith. But it's an ongoing thing where we need to do a heart check and say, where's my heart today? Because you can do the right thing, but you can do it for the wrong reason. Cain is an example of that. Abel is somebody who lived a faithful life. His heart was in tune with God, and he lived a life of obedience till it was taken by his brother. So how you doing? How you doing? We're going to jump back into the Old Testament a number of times. We're going to learn about faith. But tonight, faith is when my heart is in line with God, And I live daily in obedience to his word. That's faith. Stand with me and let's pray. So, Father, wherever we are this weekend, whether we're close to you and our hearts are pretty soft, it could always get softer. May we go to you and confess and ask you. It may be that there are some here that need to ask you to give them uh, a new heart, to renew, uh, renew a new spirit within them, to, to break them down and to uh, rescue them from where they are. Father, it's easy for our hearts to get cold and calloused and hard, and only you can break them down. Only you can, can soften them. It may be that we have one or two or three or even more that are here tonight or this weekend, who have never given their heart to you. They've been kind of going through the motions of practicing religion and doing all the right things, but their heart's not in it. May they call upon the Lord and find that only with a new heart can they live in obedience to your word and have their motives driven by hearts that are in love with you. Thank you, Father, for breaking our hearts, for giving us new hearts. Help us to live long lives of obedience and faith to you and your word. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's sing our closing song with an offering to God.